You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. thinking about you guys a lot and uh, I'm just really glad to be home. I'll give you a little bit of an update or a little bit of a kind of overview of of what we did. So um, are the kids going to children's ministry? Oh, okay. Okay. They're doing Pacer Neighbors today. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and let the kids go to children's ministry. Yeah, so we uh, we left um, s- uh, Sunday, uh, two weeks ago today, and uh, our flight was delayed in uh, Dallas, and so we missed our connecting flight. We we pulled in, uh, and the the connecting fl- the flight the Ethiopian flight to uh, Lome was at the gate, and so we couldn't get on the plane. So. Uh, we ended up not being able to book another flight until Tuesday, um, so we stayed in New York City for a couple of days and uh, saw some sights and uh, just kind of prepared ourselves for what was coming. And then we uh, flew out on Tuesday, went straight to um, surgeries. Um, the problem was is that we had a lot of the medical, all of the medical equipment with us, so they couldn't start the uh, cataract surgeries, but they did start some clinic work uh, before we got there. Um, and uh, when we got there on, uh, actually it was Wednesday by the time we got there, uh, they immediately started doing surgeries, worked from probably about 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday till after midnight, um, and then got up the next morning. Everybody gets cranking at about 5 o'clock. Sun comes up at 5 o'clock, and those people, they don't know how to whisper. So, um, And uh, there's a million chickens uh, in Africa that you, ne- you never know it. Uh, that there's any chickens out there until the sun starts coming up, and then it's like everywhere. So can't sleep through that. So um, they started surgeries about 7 o'clock in the morning and worked until 10 o'clock at night uh, that day, and then the next day as well. Uh, We ended up doing 153, um, I say we, um, the team, the doctors, did 153 um, surgeries um, that's not 153 pe- pe- people because some of them had uh, both, uh, like bilateral um, uh, cataracts, and they did some of them. They did both of them, um, and we had intended to do 200. The good news is that 153 is all the pe- all the people that had cataracts in that region, and so we're pretty much done with that region and going to move to uh, another region um, to start working next. So I think that's the third region. Um, that uh, site.org has done all of the cataracts that were that were um, reported or uh, that we knew of in that time. So what we will do is we will go back on a kind of like an annual basis to do the new cataracts that are developing. Um, but it's just an incredible blessing to know that um, we did as many as we possibly could, um, and um, did some surgeries on some children's. Um, cataracts and also eye problems that they had. Um, so anyway, then we left there. Um, the uh, doctor that was doing the cataract surgery um, had, we don't know what happened. He, when he got to Lomay, he was very sick, uh, ended up being in the hospital. 
Uh, and then by the time we saw him, he'd looked completely well. He didn't like, he looked just fine. So um, there's a lot to say about that guy uh, that I don't have time this morning. But just uh, an incredible, uh, incredibly gifted and, um, and skilled um, surgeon uh, from the United States that was given of his time to do um, surgeries in the, you know, in the bush in Africa. Um, went back to the farm, stayed for a couple of days, uh, and then uh, came home. Um, I felt your prayers. I, I was overwhelmed with the support that you guys gave uh, me to be able to make this possible. Um, hopefully there's enough for kind of the seed money for the next trip, which I don't have one planned yet, but I'm sure that I will be going back. Um, so anyway, and what I have to share this morning is kind of informed by that. It's not really... Um, a message about that, but it's a message about us and who we are and what God is calling us to do. Um, and so let's pray and then we'll, we'll look at the word. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're, go we're going to Romans uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, today uh, that we have just the incredible privilege of coming uh, into your presence and you coming into our presence um, I don't have any idea what we are that you are so mindful of us, Lord, other than the fact that you have created us to worship you. Um, and we're the only ones that can do that. And Lord, uh, we just count it just a, a privilege um, and our life goal to be uh, good at giving you the things that you deserve and the things that you, uh, you want from us. Um, I pray that you bless the word this morning. Bless us, Lord Jesus, even as you already have with your holy presence as we worship you. Um, give us ears to hear, Lord Jesus. Give us a heart to do uh, what you're calling us to do and be glorified in everything that is said and done here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you will, turn in your uh, Bible to uh, Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And uh, I'm going to be reading, uh, drawing what I'm saying today from that and also Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be going so Romans 15, uh, 1 through 6 says, and actually I, I left out verse 4 um, because it's kind of one of Paul's asides. He's talking about scripture, uh, it's inspired, and uh, it's what, we're, you know, what we learn from. Um, but it's, I, I just kind of left that one verse out because it's not in the flow of what I'm talking about. So I'm going to be reading uh, uh, Romans 15, uh, 1, 2, and 3, and then 5 and 6. So Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord, in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So God wants us to be people builders. It's a gift that we have been given. He's given us the ability that we don't even know what our ability is until we begin to use it. If you were taking stock of your life um, and, uh, and trying to figure out like, what are your strengths and weaknesses, 
you would not have any idea outside of the context of relationships with other people, outside of the context of your faith in action, because you're not a known quantity. I'm not saying that God doesn't know you, but you don't know yourself, and you can't assess yourself until you actually get out there and begin to walk in it and begin to do it. One of the things that we did this past week, um, which was new for, um, for, our, our, uh, for site.org, um, is that we invited people to come to a prayer tent. So we're, while the surgeries are going on, we had a, uh, one of these little canopies um, set up with some chairs. And uh, in the morning, I would go and I would greet the people and I would tell them that I really believed that God had drawn them there, um, not just for physical healing, but for um, spiritual healing, that God wanted to touch and minister to them. Uh, and then I would lead them in a prayer of, uh, of commitment to the Lord. Um, and I'd ask them, if you want to pray this prayer um, to the Lord, raise your hand. And it was like three-quarters of them were raising their hand, praying um, this prayer. Now, I understand sometimes people say things and do things, and their heart is not really in it. And I understand that that's a possibility. But hey, man, you know, saying that you're giving your heart to the Lord is not bad, even if you don't fully understand what you're saying, right? And so they were, you know, it, there's a big contrast between there and here. Because I think if, if we did that here, we might have a few people who were going to raise their hand and pray. But the majority of these people raised their hands and prayed. And so, um, again, kind of context, we had 153 um, surgeries on probably uh, 120-something people. Uh, and every one of those people is connected to other people. So sometimes it was like a whole family came with this person that's going to get surgery. And they show up where they're going to get surgery, and they don't know when they're going to have their surgery. They're just in line. And so if they don't get surgery, like midnight comes, and the surgeons say, you know, we're, we're pooped, we can't go anymore, uh, come back tomorrow, they just slept on the sidewalk. They slept, I mean, it was, a, it was a hospital, and there were some rooms there, but a lot of them just slept on the sidewalk or just slept on the ground, um, which is probably not something that's very unusual uh, for many of those people because they're very poor. Um, even in their villages, probably, they're, they're only sleeping on, like, mats or something like that. So anyway, then they would give up the next day. They don't know, you know, if they're going to have surgery. It wasn't just the people that are being operated on. It was their families as well that we were ministering to. And what I would do is I would tell them, after, I, after we had prayed, and then I would tell them, we have a prayer tent here. If you want prayer for anything, you come. And there was just a steady stream of people that came throughout the three days, four days, um, that we were there. Um, it was amazing. Um, pretty much from the time that we started until uh, the time that we quit, we kind of tag-teamed a little bit, but basically I was in the prayer tent um, just about the whole time, uh, as long as there was people there that wanted um, prayer. And such a, uh, it's, it's incredible uh, the variety of things that we prayed for that we would not probably have been praying for here. Um, I have never prayed for somebody that identified themselves as a Satan worshiper until this week. I had never been face-to-face -face with um, people who were one, a couple of wives of witch doctors and uh, people that were kind of under the influence of, of that uh, until this week. Um, the uh, guy on our team... Uh, that is kind of the head of the, of the farm and the operation there is a guy named Florent. And uh, he's just a giant in my eyes. Um, but uh, I didn't... Uh, 
I didn't put a picture on the PowerPoint, but uh, you'll get to see when you see some of my vacation pictures. Um, I didn't realize, like, like I looked at the picture of me and him, and the guy, seriously, is only about this tall. I didn't even know that. I met him last year, and I thought I was going to be, you know, I thought he was like my size. I tower over the guy. He's a, I'm a giant compared to him, you know. And we had people come into the tent, and, and uh, Florent, being from that culture and, and that area, knew, knew some things to see that I didn't see. And so this, this one um, guy came in, and, uh, and I would ask him what he wanted prayer for, and he, they would tell me what they wanted prayer for. And then the first question that I would ask him is, are you a Christian? And that's what kind of began really where we were going, because what I was going to do is lead them to the Lord. If they, didn't know, they, didn't, uh, if they weren't Christians, then um, that was the first thing that I was going to do. I pr- always prayed for what they asked for, but the th- gift that we had to give was Jesus Christ. And so this one guy comes into the tent, and I asked him if he was a Christian, and he said that he was. And, um, and I asked Florent. Florent was uh, interpreting for me, and... Uh, I asked him, I said, is he a Christian? He asked the guy, the guy said something to Florent, and then Florent answers me, and uh, he said, he says he's a Christian, but he is not serious. I said, how do you know that he's not serious? He said, because he has voodoo. And uh, he had a little bracelet, like a little um, bead bracelet with white and blue beads on his wrist. And Florent said, "That's, that's voodoo. He also had a little ring. Just, just a tiny little, it looked like a string that had been braided into a ring. And he said, that's voodoo. And so I said, well, then we need to tell him to take that off. And Florent said, no, don't, don't do that. Continue with what you're doing. So we did, and we took him through. We had a little brochure kind of thing with just pictures on it, no words, that helped you walk through the, um, the story of salvation, the, the, the guide to salvation starting with us in a lost condition, separated from God, and then God sent Jesus to die for us, and that the invitation was there uh, for them to walk, uh, to step into eternal life. Um, and so once we got to that point, and the guy made a, a serious profession of faith, a, a, um, you know, a, something that he understood what he was doing, um, a profession of faith, then I talked to him about the ring, and I said, you know, you, you, have, you say that you're a Christian, you say that you're trusting the Lord, but you still have this ring on. And the ring, like, as, as all idols, uh, it's not a, it, it, idols don't claim um, uh, omnipotence, knowing, knowing it, everything like God does. They don't claim uh, omnipresence, they don't claim, um, uh, they don't make these big claims. They just have a little niche. That ring is to protect him when he travels. That's all, that, that's all that that ring is supposed to do. So is that a big deal? Yes, it is a big deal. And what we found through the week is that it's an incredible a benefit that there's something visible. Because we have all of these idols, but we don't have anything visible that somebody can point to and say, if you're wearing that, you're trusting something other than Jesus Christ. But these people did. A lot of them did. And so it was just so easy to identify that there was something that was holding them back. There was something that they were divided um, in their allegiance to. 
and they're trusting devils and trusting Jesus. And what we're doing is setting them free from that. And this, this guy that um, had the ring was real reluctant to take the ring off. And uh, I know that he made a, a, a legitimate a commitment to the Lord and invited the Lord into his heart. I know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. And I know that God takes people at their word, even if we don't know fully what we're asking for. The last day, we had a huge celebration, and this guy came, and I couldn't even recognize him hardly. His face just glowed. He was so full of peace and light, and he had taken the ring off. Yeah. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one more, okay? I, I determined I was going to preach a sermon this morning. I'm not going to give you a travel log of, uh, of my summer vacation, but um, there, was a, there was a lady that came. I prayed for two ladies that had children that we couldn't help that were blind. And this one lady came with her, her daughter, and um, she had, her daughter was scheduled for surgery, and uh, so she came, and she wanted prayer, and she was the wife of a witch doctor. And then there was, a, there was a, a sister and brother that came and sat, and so all three of them are sitting on this, um, actually it was the bench from the, uh, from the van that we had, so all three of them were sitting on this uh, bench. And the brother had a bracelet on a, with the blue and white beads. The sister had a necklace on, and the sister was the wife of a witch doctor too, different witch doctors. Um, two women there, and so we began, I asked the guy, I asked him what they wanted prayer for, and the guy uh, was blind, and we couldn't help him, I think it was glaucoma that he had, that had so damaged his eyes that he, they were destroyed, they can't, unless God did a, you know, a creative miracle and restored his sight, he was, he was blind, and we couldn't do anything for him, and so he said he wanted prayer, and so we talked to him about the, um, about the bracelet, and about, um, you know, uh, the um, devil worship, um, and Florent, you know, told him, you know, that he needed to take the bracelet off. Said, we, we will pray for you. I'll pray for anybody, man. I'm not afraid to pray for, for anybody, but what I want is to, it to have an effect on them. I want them to be able to walk in, you know, the fullness of what God has for him, and he was reluctant to take the bracelet off. He said, if God will heal my eyes, I'll take the bracelet off, and I'm like, that's not the way it works. I mean, that's, if I had something that God was telling me, I want to heal this man, boom, I'm there. But short of that, I don't think you bargain with God that way. Further, you know, he's wearing a bracelet that shows an allegiance to, you know, the devil, and he's blind. Like, he's already blind, you know? Tell the devil to heal you, and then you'll worship him, you know? Short of that. And anyway... So he's, he's, you know, they're kind of, they're not, none of these people are argumentative. All of them are very, you know, polite um, and, and not, um, you know, they're, they're just beautiful, wonderful people. Um, and, and so we're talking about that. And the woman with the little girl that was blind is sitting next to him. And she, she turned to him and she said, what has voodoo ever done for us? What has voodoo ever done for us? You know, it's, it's not, it hasn't done anything for us. They're preaching at each other, you know? And I couldn't have said it better myself. She, her little daughter, the little blind girl, had a, had a necklace on, and she cut that necklace. She had a pair of scissors. She cut that necklace right off, like immediately. 
And the guy was reluctant to do that, but he, he said he wanted to give his heart to the Lord. That's what he said. He said, I want to give my heart to the Lord, um, but he was reluctant to take the bracelet off. And so we prayed. He prayed the prayer, and the woman sitting next to him, who's married to the witch doctor, I told her, I said, you're here for a reason too. I mean, I know God's speaking to you. You're not, you're not saying that you want any of this or anything, but you're hearing truth and you're hearing the word of the Lord and you're seeing what's going on and you're seeing what your brother is doing. And I, I told her, God is after you too. And I said, just don't get in the way of what God is doing in your brother's life. And she's like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to hinder him in any way. So we prayed for him. They got up and left and walked away. Came back about five minutes later and the bracelet was gone. He had taken the bracelet off. He didn't do it in front of us, but he took the bracelet off. Now, I wish I could say that God healed his eyes. He didn't. God did some miracles while we were there, but he didn't heal everybody that we prayed for. I think he had bigger fish to fry. I think he was after bigger things in people's lives. I say all that to say, I don't know anything about voodoo, and I don't intend to study it, okay? But what, what I did is I, I just was willing to go and pray. I was willing to go and put myself in that position, and God delivered through me. This faith that I have sitting here in Tyler, Texas, is pretty powerful stuff, man. You just don't know it until you get in front of somebody that's like, this is way over my head, but I didn't feel afraid. I didn't feel overconfident at all. I felt like I was dependent on God, but I also felt like I was right where I was supposed to be. And, what I, and I felt like I had the equipment that I needed in order to bring some, you know, some truth, some, some comfort, some light to that darkness. And I think we all do. And that's why I've chosen the scripture um, today, because God has called us to be people builders. That's what he's called us to do. He's called us to not just be strong and, you know, and, you know love how strong we are. Um, when I got to the point about God sending Jesus Christ in the, uh, in the little uh, brochure that we use, I always quoted um, Philippians um, chapter 2, and we'll, we're going to be uh, in there a little bit today. Um, but the scripture says this, it says, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be like grasped or held on to, you know, but he humbled himself and became a servant. And whenever I would say that, and Florent would translate it, um, I don't, like he, he did this like four or five times before I asked him, what are you saying? Because I would say, he would say, you know, though he's in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. And when Florent would uh, translate that, he would say, you know, yada, 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 mm, yada, yada, yada. And so it was like about four or five times he had done that, and I stopped him and I said, what are you saying? And he said he didn't, he didn't consider himself to be like some kind of worldly king, you know, like, a, a, like a, on top of the, you know, of, and dominating like that he, he, he became a servant and it communicated like people when he would say that people would would understand it it, it communicated to them the love that God has for us and he doesn't want us to grasp and ha- hold on to with all of our might every advantage that we have for ourselves but to take all of those advantages that we have to serve other people and to build other people and that's the mind that Christ has um, for us so God wants us to be 
uh, people builders. We have to understand that strength is not for status. It's for service. Strength is not for status. It's for service. The resources that you have are not for your status. Okay? It's to serve. God has given us incredible blessings, and you can't even understand how much we are blessed until you see the need that is out there. And I'm not talking about Africa only. I'm talking about Africa, but Africa is only one example of a dark and dying world that needs the light that we have. But your neighborhood is the same way, and the place that you work is the same way, and your school is the same way. He didn't give us these advantages for status so that we could, you know, pump it up in front of the mirror and look at ourselves and say, you know, he gave us this so that we could be strong for other people. And there are people that are dying for what we have. They are. They need it. And he wants us to give it. The strong, the, um, uh, Romans um, 15.1 um, says that the, the strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please themselves. Um, then here's Philippians. <clears throat> Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and having found in human form, uh, and, and being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And of course, that's not the whole story, but that's the part that applies to us. Now, I know that what God, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? But the death that Christ died, he died once and for all. And what he was doing was not taking death away from us. He was giving us eternal life is what he was. We are all going to experience death. I was reading in Ecclesiastes today, and it reminded me why Jesus came. Because it's all vanity. It's just vanity. If you're rich, you're going to die. If you're poor, you're going to die. If you're in jail, you're going to die. All of, all of this stuff is just vanity. What makes any of it make sense? There's only one thing that makes any, that's not vain, that's not smoke, and that's Jesus Christ. Because what he gives is eternal life. It's not something that's going to fade away or blow away. It's something that we're going to have forever, that we're going to enjoy forever. And it's what we were created for. So Jesus submitted himself to that. I want to give you like three things that Jesus did that I think the, these are things that he wants um, us to do as well, but um, that he... Um, that he did for us. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he became a servant. He gave up those advantages in order to become a servant and to come into this world. The first one is that he moved toward us. He moved toward us. He left the perfect place, the place that we long for, the place that we were made for, the place that we have a sense even in the darkest times, we have a sense of something better that we were intended for. He put eternity in our hearts. But he was living in that. That was the, from, from, the, from before the world began. 
That was his home. That's his place. That's, that's where he belongs, okay? But he didn't stay there. He moved toward us. He came toward us from heaven to earth. When you think about what he came into, here's, here's something that I have found um, in every third world country that I've been in, and I've only been in three, um, but it's filthy. I mean, I'm talking about filthy, like dirt everywhere. If you, when, you're, when, when you see in the scriptures that Jesus washed their feet, you get a sense of what that means when you're, when you're in a third world country and just how filthy everything is. I couldn't even go into my hotel room without taking my shoes off. That's how filthy I was to get into the hotel room, you know? It's like just a sense, after, after walking in it all day long, you just feel filthy, you just feel dirty. And that's the world that Jesus came into. He came out of purity and holiness, and he came into a filthy world. And I'm not just talking about physically filthy. I'm talking about morally corrupt. And when I'm, when I'm reading the book of Ecclesiastes, the first time I read the book of Ecclesiastes, I'm like, I don't even know why this is in the Bible. This is depressing. And it's depressing, but it's not inaccurate. It's true. That's what's so depressing about the whole thing. And that's what Jesus came into. He came from glory to hopelessness. And He didn't do it for Himself. He didn't do it because He needed something. He did it because He loved. And that love compelled Him to move toward us. To move into filth and decay. The second one is that he took the form of a servant. <clears throat> when I was thinking about this this morning, you know, like you're thinking, if God came to earth, where would he come? What would he do? Well, we know what he would do, right? And it's an indication of what a glorious, good, loving, compassionate father he is, is that he came to earth and he was born in a manger, in a stable which is crazy for a king, but it's exactly what you would expect for a servant. He was born in the lowest, of the lowest class. I mean, I don't care how poor you are. If you're, if you're born and they put you in a feed trough, there's nothing lower than that. Right? <clears throat> a mother, what mother would ever do that unless she had no options whatsoever? And that's how Jesus came. He came and began His earthly um, journey uh, in the lowest of the low. And why was that? Because He came to be a servant. And that's exactly what He was. He fit the bill perfectly. He wasn't playing a part. He was fulfilling Scripture. He was fulfilling the calling upon His life. The manger. And how about the, the other one um, uh, at the Last Supper? When they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus didn't like, correct them like he had before, many times he had before. He just quietly went and got a basin, and they're wondering what he's doing. And then he got a towel, and they're like, okay, he's going to get somebody to wash somebody's feet here. And then he gets down, he girds himself, and he gets down on the ground, and he begins to wash their filthy, dirty feet. Why? Because he is a servant, that's why. <clears throat> and because he wanted to teach us a lesson too. He said, you call me Lord, and you're right. But I am among you as one who serves. 
I am among you with, the, with all the power and all the authority that has been given to me, and what do I use my strength for? For the, for the lowest job on the planet. Washing filthy feet. He came and He took the form of a servant. And I, I just don't, I mean, I don't know if there's theological implications from this. That's beyond my capability to understand, but I don't think He had to do it this way. I think he chose to do it this way. I don't think God was forced to do it. I, in other words, I think he could have come to earth and been like an earthly king and fulfilled God's calling upon his life. I don't think he had to suffer the, the, uh, the ex- extremely horrible death that he did. I think he could have you know, died as soon as they nailed him to the cross, technically fulfilling the Scripture. But he suffered. And I think he chose that. And I think he chose to be a servant. And I think he chose this because he says, this is not what you think it is. This is the right way to do it. And I'm setting an example for you, and I'm giving you power to do this yourself. And then the, the last one is, is that um, he used his power to build us up. In Revelation chapter 3, verses uh, 7 and 8, um, there's a, a, a letter to the church of Philadelphia. And you know when you read, um, sometimes when you read, um, when you think about Revelation, the book of Revelation, a lot of times we kind of get this, like all of these strange characters and all this weird, you know, stuff that's going on and we can't really understand it. And that is true about some parts of the book of Revelation. Um, The Bible says that you're blessed to study it, though. There's a blessing in studying it, but you're never going to fully understand it until we understand it in the presence of the Lord. And then we'll see what it all means. Having said that, there are parts of the book of Revelation that are like impossible to misunderstand and very easy to see what he's talking about. And this is one of them. The letters to the seven churches, I believe, are, are a message of God to the church today. But they are actual letters to actual churches that existed during John's time. It's not figurative language. It's real stuff. These are real churches that, re, that, that the Lord wrote a letter to Um, to address things, but they apply to us today, too. If you read those seven, you can see the church in every one of those. And you might even be able to see yourself in every one of those. So here's the the letter to the book, I mean, to the church of Philadelphia. It says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, listen, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Here's what he writes. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but a little power. I know that you have but a little strength. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I wonder if that's not us today. I mean, really. We spent two days in New York City, and I felt, in some ways, more out of place in New York City than I did in Africa. I mean, that's, that's the sort of the greatest contrast, maybe, that there is of humanity on Earth. Togo in the bush, and New York City on downtown in New York City. I, I, and and it, what is it, man? It's just people. It's all people. It's all people made in God's image. But one thinks it's rich, thinks it's powerful, 
thinks it's got it all figured out, and one is poor and broken and desperate. Which one? Which one? The ones that say that they have no need, God doesn't force it on them. But they've got the greatest need. And I wonder if we somehow have convinced ourselves that we have all this power, and in fact, maybe we don't. Maybe we only have a little. Maybe we don't even know what we have because we haven't actually put it out there and begun to use it. And I'm not, talk, I'm not putting anything on you guys. I'm telling you, this is, this, is what, this is what I've been struggling with and this is what I've been trying to come to grips with. But I'm bringing it to you to consider as well because I'm thinking maybe we're not as rich as we think we are. And maybe we're not as powerful as we think we are. Here's what the here's what the um, the writer says, or what the what Jesus says to the church. He says the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. What I'm convinced of is that God somehow opens our hearts and it can't be shut. We can harden it, we can, we can deny Him, we can turn away from Him and it's not going to make Him turn away from us. He's always coming. He's always there. He's always extending a hand to us. And ideally what He would like is for us to, to cut that bracelet. That's ideally what He would like. He would like it to be all, all my eggs are in one basket. All my commitment is in Him. All my trust is in Him. But a lot of times, we have to go through something before we say, you know what? What has this ever done for me? What has riches ever done for me? What has status ever done for me? What is my, my, um, my self-image that I have myself built up, what has that ever done for me? And He wants us to be able to do that, but He won't force us to do that. He opens and no one will shut. And it says, it says this, in the letter that he writes to the church of Philadelphia, it says, I know your works. How do you feel when God says that to you? Do you feel embarrassed? Do you feel ashamed? You're, do you like, oh yeah, that's right, he can see everything? And like you're, because that's not what this means. He's saying, I know your works. I know that you're doing good things. I know that you want me. I know, that, I know that you're trying, and I know that it's hard. But he says, I know your works. And those works are going to be rewarded. And he says, I've set before you an open door. Nobody can shut it. You see, God has a course for you to run. And when that's over, thank God, we're not holding on to this for all we're worth. We're destined for something better. He's told us about it. We can't get it into our heads. But this is not all that there is. He's got a course for you to run. And it's just like in a track meet, man. you got a lane. Nobody else is in that lane. Nothing else that occurs anywhere else has anything to do with you running your race. You have a course set. You have a lane before you. And nobody is in the way there. Nobody can stop you. The only question is, how hard do you want to do, want it? How hard do you, what do you want to put into it to finish this course, to finish this race? That's the question. And it's not, you can't ask God that. He's got a course for you and He's like, okay, go. If you want to mosey down the track and, you know, 
stumble to the finish line, you get to do that if you want to do that. But why? Why, why not give it everything you got? What are we waiting for? Why sit, on, why sit on your laurels or sit on your accomplishments? Why wait for somebody else to tell you what a great person you are? You're a great person. Jesus loves you. He died for you. That's how great you are. Why wait? Why put it off one minute? Why give it a half-hearted effort? Might as well give it all. When Jesus came, He ministered to people in, in, the, in body, physically. He ministered to them in their soul, in their mind, in their will, in their emotions. And He ministered to them in the Spirit. He ministered to their body. You remember the story about how um, Jesus taught all day long? He had, it's, a, it's a long passage of Scripture. Um, I think it's in, maybe in John. I think there's a, a version of this in almost every one of the Gospels. But they're ministering all day long. He had told the disciples, come, let's go away by ourselves. You know, let's get some rest. Because ministry is draining. It's hard. I know this looks easy. I just make it look easy, you know. <laughs> but it's really hard. You can ask Becky. Sunday afternoons, you know, I'm crashing, you know. Because it does take a lot. And I'm sure, like, and I'm not even like, you know, healing everybody that comes to me and imparting the um, Sermon on the Mount and all of that. It must have been exhausting. For, for a human being to do what he did and also what the apostles did. And Jesus said, well, come on, let's get away for a little while. Just come, come aside and rest. And so they got in a boat and they headed across the sea. And you know what happened? This crowd saw them going and the crowd goes the long way around and are waiting for them when they land. And when they land, what did Jesus do? He's like, you know what, guys? I'm off the clock. You know? I mean, I'm just tired. You'll still be desperately in need tomorrow. Let me get some rest. No, he didn't. He immediately started ministering to them and teaching them and, and caring for them. And that whole day, He did that. And at the end of the day, one of His disciples came to Him and said, tell the people to go to get, because they're, they're tired and they're hungry, and tell them to go and, you know, and get some supper. And you know what Jesus said? He said, you give them something to eat. He might have said this, I know your works, and I know that you have just a little. You've got two coins to rub together. He's not being cruel when he says give them something to eat. He's inviting them into a, a miracle. And that's what he's inviting us into. When he tells us, to, to all, all he wants is for us to give what we have. That's all he wants. Not wait around until it comes. Not, not wait around until it happens. And like, okay, now I've got everything I need. Now I'm going to go. He says no. He wants you to step up into the impossible. He wants you to... Listen, listen to me, okay? When I say impossible, I'm not talking about pie in the sky. I'm talking about exactly what you're facing, exactly what you're dealing with. And when you do this here, your whole world is going to expand. And you're going to see so many more possibilities that are out beyond that. But that's all He wants us to do. His, his, you know, I'm sure that they were like shocked when he said, you give them something to eat. It's like, what is wrong with you? Me give them something to eat? And he said, what do you have? And so they made a search. And they found a kid that had a huge lunch. That's a big lunch for a kid. Five loaves and three fishes? What kid could eat that much? He had way more than he needed, right? 
But here's, that's not enough to feed the crowd, but it's what they had. And they brought it to Jesus, and he blessed it, and it increased, and it increased, and it increased. Okay? And the crowd got fed, but the disciples, as they're handing that stuff out, and they know where it came from, and they know what they started with, are being blown away by the miracle that they get to be a part of. I don't know, I don't know who Jesus was ministering to more. His own disciples who got to be a part of that? Or the crowd who was hungry? Because he was ministering to a physical need. But it's like I told those, those guys in, um, uh, in Togo. You know, you can't, you, you're coming and we're going to do some physical thing. God's got something. God has drawn you here for a reason. And the reason is a much deeper need that you have. It's not the fact that you can't see physically. It's the fact that you can't see. That your heart is in darkness. He ministered to their physical needs. And all He expects us to do physically is give what you have. Give what you have. We're a congregation that doesn't have a lot of very wealthy people. We have had some wealthy people in the past that have been part of our congregation. God bless us. But look, man, this place is built on the hard work and the limited finances of regular people. That's what this, that's what this place is built on. If we're waiting... You know, for, uh, I'm not going to say win the lottery, but, you know, a lot of people dream that, you know. They're just like, I don't, I don't believe in the lottery, I don't think, but I'll give it a shot, you know. What can it hurt, right? But that's not the way it's going to happen. The way it's going to happen is we're going to give what we have, and he's going to say, here's some more. That's the only way that it's going to happen. He ministered to the soul. What I, found, what I have found in foreign cultures and foreign, um, foreign places and places with you know, uh, languages that I don't understand is that the Word of God is just as powerful there as it is here. They may have different needs and different questions and things like that, but the need of the human heart is the same and the impartation of wisdom that comes from the Word of God works in every language, in every culture, in every every corner of the globe, every place that a person is made in the image of God, a person in the image of God lives, this Word ministers to their souls. And you don't have to enhance it. You don't have to, all you have to do is deliver it. You have to be sensitive enough. When, they would, when these people would come in and sit down, the first question that I would ask them is, what do you need? What, what, can, what, do, what do you need prayer for? And like, this one woman came and said that, you know, she was barren. She hadn't had any kids. And she is one of th four wives. And that's the reason why the guy has other wives, is because she can't have kids. And all the other ones are having kids. It's, it is a Bible story right there, you know? It's like, it's like I've read that before, but I don't think I've ever actually met somebody who was living it, you know? And her husband, what happened was that her husband went to the priest, the Catholic priest, and the Catholic priest says, if you want, because he's the last of his line, he's the last of his family, he's the last male um, of his family, and so that's why he wants to have children. And the priest said, you're going to have to marry somebody else. The priest said, you're going to have to marry somebody else. The priest. <laughs> this is the wise one. This is the one that's representing Jesus Christ. Told her that, 
told him that, and then he did marry somebody, and the priest said, you can't come to church anymore because you have two wives. Never prayed for anything quite that complicated before. But you know what? God has a way through that. God has, a way, God has something for her. And whether it's to be able to have her womb opened and to have children, I don't know. But I know that God takes us from where we are to glory. He doesn't say, well, how did you get there? No, that's your, you know, He's opened a door that can't be shut. He has a way. And He has made a way for us. And He's made a way for her. And He's made a way for her husband who really loves her. You know what, what happened? He came to get cataract surgery. And He said, after I get cataract surgery, we're all going to church. He, His wives, His children, they're all going to church. Sounds like a plan to, to me, Right? What, what possesses a guy to do that? It's because, he, because something had happened. He had been blind for like, I don't know how many years, and now he get, he's got his sight back, and he's like, God did this. I've I got a million stories. I'm, it's literally, it's going to be months that I'm still going to remember some of this stuff. Dreams that God gave some of the people that we prayed for. But the biggest thing was just seeing their face. Just seeing their face. The ones that had been physically healed, and also the ones that had been spiritually healed. Jesus healed their body. Jesus healed their soul, to minister to their soul. And the, the thing that Jesus did, and the thing that we do, is first and foremost spiritual in nature. What we are doing is spiritual in nature. There's a physical aspect to it. There's a soulish aspect to it. But there's something to it that is not physical and it's not soul, it's spiritual. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. That only comes. The new birth, the spiritual person that you are, only comes from intimacy with God. That's the only place that it comes from. And that's what He came for. We shouldn't be using our strength for ourselves only, but for others. <clears throat> he intends for you to be a fountain springing up to eternal life. He intends for you to be an overflow. That means more than you need and everything that other people need. He wants us to flow out of the gift that He's given us. When He touches you immediately, when He, when he calls you immediately, it's not just about you anymore. We have a tendency to kind of look at our lives and take stock of what we have. Everything that you have is not for you. You're just the FedEx driver. You take that stuff home and they'll put you in jail. Right? you got a, you got a, a truck full of stuff. It's not for you. It's not yours. Right? It's given to you to deliver to others. And I'll close with Philippians chapter... Oh, gosh. I didn't realize I was this late. This was supposed to be a short sermon. I'm going to close with... You, you can come, David. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, and this, this reminds me of you have a little, okay? You have a little. It says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And, and here's what I, I want to leave you with today. 
It's one thing for some crazy person to sell everything and give it away. It is a completely another level for, all, for a group of people to all do that. That's, that's another level, man. And that's what the church is supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to look to my left and look to my right and not think I'm crazy. Because we're all in it together. We're all doing it together. We're all flowing in it together. It's not about how much I love God. It's about how much He loves me. That's what the point is. It's not about me patting myself on the back because I'm a good person and I really love God. It's because He loves us. And it's, it's overwhelming. And it's awesome. And you're never going to get enough of it. So if there's any encouragement, what does he say? If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my, my, my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Let's worship for a minute. Let's stand together. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. Only you deserve the glory. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. Only you deserve the glory. And I'll stand. With arms high and heart abandoned In awe of the one who gave it all I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered All I am is yours I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned it all of the one who gave it all I'll stand my soul Lord to you surrendered all I am is yours and all I am is yours for you're worthy of it all You're worthy of it all For from you are all things And to you are all things Only you deserve the glory Heavenly Father, I know that you're, uh, you're knocking at our door this morning I know you're knocking at my heart, Lord And we just say, come in Come in, Lord. Come in and, and be you. Come in and do what only you can do. And we're, I'm not inviting you in, Lord, to fix me. I'm inviting you in, Lord Jesus, 
to make my home a home for others, to make my life, Lord, a place that is an open uh, door to others. Come in, Lord Jesus, and give me what you want me to have to deliver to others. Burden me, Lord, with the burden of the Lord. Search me and try me, Lord, and sweep me out. Sweep out the stuff that is just cluttering up the place so that you can have what you want in me, Lord. Otherwise, it's just vanity, Lord. All my things, all my possessions, all my ways of trying to make myself significant is just vanity. It's just smoke and mirrors, Lord. But what you give is eternal. I don't want to wait for eternity. I don't want to wait for the other side of the grave, Lord, to begin to experience the fullness of what you have for me. I want it now, Lord. I pray, Lord, for each one of us that as we look down that lane that's in front of us, Lord Jesus, that that finish line would be drawing us, drawing us in a powerful way. That we would not, Lord, in any way want to just linger where we are, but that with full force we would be reaching forward to what lies ahead, responding to that upward call and giving it all we've got, Lord. I don't know how many days we have, Lord, but all I know about it is that they're limited. I want each one of them, Lord Jesus, for each one of us to fill our days, Lord, with the, with the good things of God, to give it our best, Lord, so that you can be glorified in it. And I just thank you for that.